Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. We're talking this morning about the power of resurrection and what God says about that power. I really think one of the greatest needs of human beings is for power. Most people I know, regardless of their background, their even religious traditions, most of them have really good intentions about the kind of lives they want to live and maybe the kind of people they want to be, but they just seem to lack the power to do it. Charlie Shedd, who is a uh, doctor of theology, used to give a talk around the nation called The Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children. Oh, yeah. Then he had, that's when he had no kids. Then he had one child, and he changed the talk to Ten Hints for Parents. Then he and his wife had another kid, and they changed the talk again to a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. And then they had a third child, and they stopped doing the talk altogether. And everybody with more than one kid knows, amen. Yeah. Life has a way of showing us whatever field or area it is. We've got dreams, and we've got hopes, and we've got plans, and they're usually pretty good, but we find ourselves not living them out. Uh, I somehow lack the power to be who I want to be, to do what I want to do seems to be the human condition. Well, there once was a group of human beings who were followers of Jesus, just a scraggly little group at first, and then he was crucified, and they thought, well, our dream is finished. But then something powerful happened. Something historical happened to create this movement where these people were gripped by a conviction that something had happened that changed everything. They were convinced that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that the power that God used to raise Jesus' dead body from the grave was the ultimate expression of power over the ultimate enemy that human beings faced, which was death and everything else wrong in the world. And that same power that was demonstrated in the resurrection was now available for human life. 2,000 years ago, St. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 1. How unbelievably great is his power to help those who believe in him. How unbelievably great is his power to help those who will trust him, who will call on him, the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So for a couple of moments, let me talk about that power in the lives of ordinary people like you and like me. And I believe to the core of my being, it's the only hope of the human race. Let me start with a story about a guy named David, and I want to walk through some of the highlights and lowlights of his life and how he met God and how he found strength and power in God. That'll get us to the resurrection and what it means to you and what it means to me. At the beginning of David's life, remarkable things start to happen. He's a guy of exceptional gift and exceptional potential. One day, a prophet named Samuel came to David's family and selected David and said David had found favor with God. He actually anointed David to be king, although Saul was currently the king of Israel. Great things are going to happen in this young man's life. And for a while, boy, they did. 
Sometimes life kind of turns out that way for a while. Well, David ends up going to King Saul's palace. He becomes a favorite of the king. King Saul loves David. David becomes best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. He marries the king's daughter, a good career move back then. And then he becomes a warrior, wildly successful in his culture. He is so heroic for his battlefield achievements, people actually sang songs about the greatness of this boy named David. Everything he touched turned to gold. He's got a charmed life going. But then a funny thing happened to him on the way to the top. It all fell apart. And little by little, all the things he achieved started to get stripped away from him. He became so successful, King Saul got jealous of David. David was now on more TV channels than King Saul. He was drawing bigger crowds. And all of a sudden, he picks up a spear one day, and he throws it at David. He just loses it. David has to flee for his life. He loses his job, his income, his security. And some of you know what that's like. He even loses his marriage, and some of you know about that. Saul's trying to kill David. David's wife helps him escape, but she ends up being taken back by her father, King Saul, and given to another man as a wife. Kings could do that in those days. So David's lost his marriage, his family, his position. He tries to go see Samuel, who's his mentor, but Saul hears about it and sends soldiers, and David has to make another escape. Shortly after this, the prophet Samuel dies. David will never see Samuel again, never get advice or guidance from his old mentor. So David tries to run to his best friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan loves David, but he won't lift a sword against his father, King Saul. So David has to run away again, and he's never going to see his best friend ever. That's how bad it is for David. And then it gets worse. Israel is so hot, he's got to leave. He loses his home, his culture, his language. He's got nowhere to go, so he runs for safety to a city outside of Israel called Gath. Gath is the home of the big guy. You might remember the one on human growth steroids named Goliath, the big guy, the Philistine. And David has run now to a town of the Philistine, his enemies. He's looking to his enemies for refuge. He tried to get them to have pity on him, to take him in. He pretends to be insane. He foams at the mouth. He scribbles on the gates. But they won't take him in. He's killed too many Philistines. They're terrified. It's a setup. They kick him out. And he ends up living in a cave. Not a condominium, a cave. Now, this is David, the guy who had it all, who had been in the palace, who had wealth, had power, had fame, had a luxury box at the Spurs game, had a golf membership at J.W. Marriott. He's got it all, gets invited to the best parties. He's got friends and fame and popularity and security. He's got a future. He's the golden boy. And now it's all gone. He's got no money, no home, no trophy wife, no friends, no job, and no mentor. I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but it ain't that bad. Come on. It's not that bad. He's running for his life. He's living in a cave, the cave of the doomed. 
So let me talk about that cave. The cave is where you end up when all your props, all your supports, all your gifts, all your awards get stripped away. The cave is where you end up when you thought you were going to have a great life, do great things, and all your hopes seem to turn to dust. And it becomes clear things won't work out the way you thought. A cave is where dreams go to die. And some of you are in a cave right now. Maybe you had a vocational dream of what you were going to do, but it hadn't happened. Maybe you've lost your job. There's enormous financial pressure on you. You worry about it every day. You're in a cave. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you've lost a marriage to desertion, maybe to death, maybe to divorce. Or maybe you wanted a relationship so bad, but it's just never happened and you're not sure it ever will. Well, you're in a cave. Maybe you made a bad decision. Anybody but me ever make a bad decision? Thank you. We ought to get an amen from everybody. And you find yourself asking, how in the world did I end up here? How did I get in this mess? I had such hopes. I had strong dreams. And now I've made decisions and maybe I'm involved in behavior. I don't even know who the person is I've become. How did I end up in this place? And you're in a cave of remorse. Maybe you've lost your health. Maybe it's a physical condition that happened to you or somebody you love. Maybe you find yourself alone. Maybe some of you have betrayed values you thought were pretty deep in you. But a cave is a place of disappointment, of regret, of failure, of fear. It's a place where things go to die. Dead marriages, dead hopes, dead dreams. You know, nobody plans on living in a cave. Nobody plans on ending up in a cave. In fact, we live in a part of the world where people pride themselves on their ability to do cave avoidance. But sooner or later, that day will come. That's part of the brokenness of the world we live in. And what's hardest, I guess, about all about being in a cave is you start to wonder if God's lost track of you. You begin to wonder, did he forget his promises? Does he remember where I am, who I am? Does anybody out there hear me? Does he know that I'm here in this stinking cave? Will I ever be anywhere else, or will I just die here? Now, one more thing you need to know. The cave is where God does some of his best work in molding and shaping human lives. The cave is the place after all the trophies and awards and achievement and praise of people and props get stripped away, and you find out, all I got left is God. And then you discover, wow, he's enough. God is enough. Sometimes the cave is where you meet God, the God who does some of his best work in caves. You know, it's kind of funny. I talk to a lot of people, but when I ask people, when they look back on their lives and you ask them, what made you change? What made you grow spiritually? When you met God and learned patience or trust or strong faith, what was going on in your life? And the number one answer is always, well, it was during a time of great pain and great suffering. It wasn't Miller time. It was cave time. Yeah. Well, David spent like 10 years of his life in the wilderness. 10 years. A decade. Everything was going great for so long, 
Then he ends up in a stinking cave and spends 10 years isolated in the wilderness. Now, he wasn't entirely alone. Some people came to him in the cave, but they weren't very promising. 1 Samuel 22 says, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, joined his church, and he became their commander. Wow. Boy, wouldn't you like to be the leader of this little band of brothers in debt, in distress, and discontent? <laughs> I'm thinking... It just isn't looking good for David at all. So David and this little band of thumb-sucking whiners establish a refugee community in a village called Ziglag. They take wives, they have families, and then one day the men are off to battle. When they come back to the village, it's burned, and all their families are gone along with the belongings. Their wives, their sons and daughters and possessions have all been taken captive. They've lost everything. And it says in 1 Samuel 30, so David and all of his men wept aloud until they had no more strength to, to weep. You ever cry like that? Probably did privately in a car, in a room somewhere where nobody's around. David and his men are so overwhelmed with hopelessness and sadness, they cried until they could cry no more. No more strength. And then for David... Gee, it gets worse. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because his own members, his own team, were talking about stoning him. This is a bad day at work. And David's probably thinking, what did I do to deserve this? This is David, a fugitive from his own country. His king has tried to kill him. He's lost his mentor. He's lost his best friend. He's lost his trophy wife, lost his future, lost his security, lost his reputation, lost his money, lost his home. And then he finds courage to launch a little startup group out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of nobodies, and now they want to kill him. That's a bad day. Uh -huh. And then comes one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. After everything's gone, David found hope in that stinking cave in the Lord his God. He didn't find it in his own resilience. He didn't find it in his own brilliance, his own passionate determination. Nope. David found strength in the Lord his God. Just that one sentence, a man alone with God, and it changed everything. Circumstances looked the same on the outside, but David had passed from death unto life. It looked like the bottom had fallen out of his life, didn't it? But it turns out David had fallen into the arms of God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Well, David would go on now to a remarkable life. He would become king of Israel. People would look back at David's day with so much joy and longing that when they thought about a Messiah who was going to come to save them one day, they would talk about such a one as being the son of David. David would know great heights, and David would know great lows. He would achieve great victories. He would make huge mistakes. 
I just wonder over a cup of coffee with you out in a cafe or something, I just wonder how often for the rest of his life in a quiet moment, when he wasn't fighting Philistines or ruling a nation, under stress, he'd be alone, he'd go back in his mind to a cave where he once was alone, where he had lost everything, and even his own people are against him. But he found strength in the Lord his God. I wonder if you've ever done that. I wonder, cave dwellers, we all are, if, if we know what it is when everything gets stripped away to find strength in God, who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It turns out God understands all about caves. That's why he sent Jesus. It turns out that when Jesus came, just like David for a while, he was the golden boy. Everything turned out great. Everything he touched turned to gold. People loved his teaching. They'd come to him. Those in distress, in debt, discouraged, those sick, lame, lepers, those who were outcast, those who didn't vote for the party they thought they should have voted for. I'm messing with you now. He let everybody come. Republican, Democrat, Independent, and those who didn't vote. They would come to him and he would heal them. He would touch them. He would embrace them. And word began to spread. Crowds were huge until one day he comes into Jerusalem. People are excited about what he could do, how their lives might change. So they line the road coming into Jerusalem. Here comes the son of God, the son of David. The new king has now arrived. They throw palm branches in his way. They cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And they want to make him king, but he refused to be that kind of a king. And when they found that out, they all turned on Jesus. And the son of David, he lost everything. His position as a rabbi, his security, his reputation, his friends ran away from him when he needed them the most. The son of David also had people, huge crowds, who were disappointed in his leadership just like David had had. And he had people who wanted to kill him too, only this time. They did it. They put him under arrest, convicted him in a mock trial of nothing, ripped and beat his body, put a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to a cross, and it was all the sin and guilt of the world that had put him there. The most perfect man that had ever lived, the only sinless human being, the most unfair death that had ever been inflicted on anybody, and it was their sin and my sin and your sin too that hung him on that cross and he died. You know, Hebrews 9, 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Well, every Hebrew knew that because for 1,500 years, under the law of Moses, they had to kill the lamb, slit the neck, drain the blood to atone for their sin because nobody could keep the law. 1,500 years, Israel was under the Mosaic law. Some of you go to churches, you're still under the law. They never kept it. You can't keep it. Nobody kept it. Only Jesus did. So every single day, they had to shed blood, meaning judgment had come because the blood was shed, and now you don't have to die. A substitute died. They didn't know much about what that might mean, but we know thousands of years later, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Instead of a four-legged lamb, now it's a two-legged lamb. And instead of having to shed blood and die every day, this substitute was going to die once for all, Hebrews said. 
and there would never be another judgment for anybody who put their faith in him. So I don't have to, I don't have to atone every day. I don't have to kill something. I deserve death, but I already died. I died in Jesus when he died. I was judged in Jesus when he died. And I was raised to new life. We celebrate in baptism. When he came out of the grave, I inherited eternal life. I never have to be afraid of judgment or death ever, ever again. Wow. That's why it was called good news. Well, Rick, surely I need to do something. No, no. The Bible says that salvation is a gift of God. Anybody ever get a gift? Why, shoot, yeah, you do. A gift is something somebody bought, they offer it, and somebody received it. If you paid for it, even a good deal, it's, it's a purchase. It's not a gift. So it says, not of works, lest anybody should brag. Well, I've never been drunk. What are you doing, bragging? See, you can't get justified. You can't get to God through good works. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good work. It just won't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get me to heaven. So he shed his blood. I am now forgiven. I have now been accepted in the beloved through Jesus. And when God sees me, he sees me as having been judged. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It says, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became my sin. So I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So while my wife might not believe it, I am a righteous man. I have been given righteousness by Jesus. And so have you, if you've accepted Jesus. I'll never be judged again. Don't use that word as a believer. Well, I believe God's judging me. No, he's not. There are sometimes consequences for a dumb choice, but it's not judgment. Judgment would require eternity away from God. And Jesus already suffered. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll never be forsaken. He tells me I will never leave you, never forsake you now. So he's died the death, taken the judgment, the sin of the whole world is laid on him, and all I can do is accept it. That's it. Well, it just seems too good to be true. Well, it is too good, but it is true, and that's why it was called good news. I thought all the years I went to church, all I heard was bad news. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you good news. Nobody can, Buddha can't match it. Allah can't match it. Muhammad can't touch it. Harry Krishna, he can't do it. Sorry, George Harrison. Sorry. The Bible says there's one God, Uno, that's my Spanish, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So you want to get to the Father? You go through Jesus. You don't go through Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Mary, St. Paul, St. Peter, Jesus. That's clear scripture. One mediator. Well, I'm going to ask St. Paul to help me. Paul can't help you. Paul couldn't help himself. Paul had to depend on Jesus too. Yeah, these are precious people. Well, I'm going to ask Mary. Mary's a precious woman, a virgin who, who had the Son of God. What a precious lady. Look forward to meeting her. She can't help you. She called Jesus her Savior. You can only go there through him. You can join the church, but he won't make you a Christian any more than going in my garage or make you a car. It's not going to do that. How dumb is receiving Jesus. So they, so they crucified him, and they thought, that's it. That's the end of that movement. This is over. And they took him down from the cross, put his body away where they thought they would never hear of it or see it again. And where did they put his body? Oh, in a cave. Ah, 
in a cave. But they forgot God does his best work in caves. The cave is where God resurrects dead stuff. A dead marriage, a dead life, a dead dream, a dread hopes. Right there. And there's this group of people, followers of Jesus. And when he died on the cross, they were distressed, dejected, and demoralized. And after the resurrection, something happened to them. They were all filled with God's spirit. So powerful it was, they were absolutely convinced he's alive. That doesn't mean all their problems went away any more than it does for you or me. They'd travel around the world. They would exhaust their energy. Most of them would give their lives for the one they loved. But what's remarkable, they did it with great joy. They just thought they're getting the deal of a lifetime. They, they became an unstoppable force, this power inside of them, and it changed the world. Actually, Scripture says they turned the world upside down. But now it's our day. And now this news comes to every man and every woman, and there's a decision because we're people who live in caves. And sometimes, sometimes, sadly, it's possible to say, well, I guess I'll just stay here in this cave. Or, well, I'll just try to live here in the cave in my own strength and my own abilities. Or some say, well, I'll just complain about what an unfair thing my particular cave is. Oh, you're a joy to sit with. And I know people like that, and you do too. They, they just won't stay in the cave. I don't think it will ever be different, Rick. Ah, you don't have any hope. I think I will not die to everything I want for myself in order to follow this one man who is the hope of the world. And unfortunately, people make that decision sometimes, and they end up living a small, miserable little life. Maybe they'll be successful, maybe not, but their soul will wither and die. But sometimes people kneel down in that cave. I know I did. I hope you will. And they say, God, I don't want to do life in my own strength anymore. It's not enough. I can't make it. I can't seem to make it work. I want another kind of a life that I don't have to live on my own. I'd like for this Jesus, who was resurrected 2,000 years ago, to become the one who forgives my sin, who wipes my slate clean, who allows me to live without guilt, shame, or condemnation, and gives me a fresh, brand-new start. Then I'd like every day for him not to just be my forgiver of my sins, but my friend, my companion, my leader, my guide. And I'll seek to do with your help, Lord, and with the help of your Holy Spirit, whatever I need to do to arrange my life in such a way, I can stay in close contact with you. And I'd like to do life like that one day at a time for the rest of my life and then forever in the world to come. And you know, folks, you can make that decision. It doesn't mean every problem you have will go away. It won't. It means that you can know power, power to be forgiven, power to be loved, power to have meaning and purpose in life, power to grow, power to change, power to be transformed, power to overcome an addiction, so that when you get to the end of this one quick little life, you can look back on it and say, thank you, God, thank you. In the cave, ladies and gentlemen, that's where God does some of his best work, in a cave. Because a cave is where God loves to resurrect dead stuff. Let's pray together. Amen and amen. 
Sometimes on a weekend like this, it can get so busy, there's not even a moment to think about God. So let me invite you to do that in this closing moment right now, to reflect on the wonder, the miracle of you. You're alive. You're thinking here. You're sitting here. There's a you because God made you. God loves you immensely, and he knows all about your cave. And if you've never responded to him before, you can do that right now, right in your cave. And you can pray a simple prayer like, God, you know all my brokenness, my sin, my regret. You know all about my cave. I'm tired of trying to handle the cave by myself. I'd like to live in forgiveness and healing through what Jesus did on the cross. And I'd like to invite Jesus to be my forgiver, my friend, my guide, and my leader. One day at a time as I walk through this life, and then forever in the life to come. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.